0: What's up, my readers? It's me, the host, Steve Ranazizi. Welcome back to the podcast. That's right. We're readers now. We read books, everyone. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it feel good when someone says to you, hey, you're reading a book? And you go, yeah, I am. I listen to this great new podcast called Hear Me This Book, and I get great book suggestions, and now I'm reading such and such book. Heart of Darkness. Probably not, but maybe The Hike. Hope you guys had a good week. I uh, had a great week. Uh, this is my last week home on the East Coast, hanging out with my family, my parents, brothers, sisters, cousins—the whole thing. I'm one of those rare comedians who actually likes their family and enjoys time with them, um, not just for material, but like, and we laugh a lot. But I have a good time with them. Actually, this week I went to the Yankee game with my son and my dad and my brother. Oh, yeah, it was really awesome. It was three generations of idiots who love to watch. The men in the pinstripes run around. By the way, the Yankees are great this year. I like this team. Young, energetic. They don't give up. We're talking walk-offs. We had a couple walk-offs this past week. They won 4-2 uh, to two on the night that we went. It was awesome because it was one of those interleague games. So they moved quick. We were like five and a half innings done in an hour, which is great when you've got an eight-year-old with you um, because the hot dog's took like 40 minutes. We were like sitting in one of those seats. We get to order them and then because they don't bring the, the guys don't really come down there anymore. So you got to order them from a waitress. It took about an hour. Tough, tough to explain to a kid. Yeah, our, our food's not going to be here until an, an hour from now. So, but it was awesome. We, oh, by the way, I'll post the video, but we were at the game. Mike Judge, Mike Judge, I wish, Aaron Judge, phenom of the Yankees, um, hit a foul ball. Now we were on the first base line, like basically between first base and right field, about twenty five rows back. And this thing looked like it was coming right at us. It landed twenty five or so rows in front of where we were, but it looked like it was one of those things where, like, it was like a rock hitting a hitting a pond. Like it was gonna skip. Like if it skipped and hit it, the next spot, would have been our seats. But it hit this dude square on, and oh my god, I don't know what. It was one of those hits where like you couldn't really tell cuz everyone stood up and then you just see people like waving the security down. Stu got his head split open. I don't know how he survived. I mean, Aaron Judge hit the ball, I think it was 114 miles an hour off his bat to a person that was probably closer, as close as the first baseman who wasn't looking and doesn't have a glove on and as was also a fat middle-aged person as well. Uh but <clears throat> yeah. Thank God the guy was okay. He split his head open. There was blood, but not as bad as what you... I expected just to see like like four or five dead bodies. That's how hard this ball was hit. But anyway, the Yankees had a good win. They're, uh, as of right now, a game, uh, I think, ahead of the Red Sox first place in the AL East. Um, my son had a good time. It was just fun. It was a really great, great day. And then what else did I do? Oh, I went fishing with some high school friends. That's right, out there on the sea, not the sea, the Long Island Sound. We caught porgies, 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 that's how you say it. I couldn't keep any because they weren't big enough, and I kept losing my bait. I was the king of losing, I fed the entire porgy population in the Long Island Sound. Fish for everyone. Um, it was fun. I jumped in, my friends tried to leave me you know, open water style. And uh, I'm not really, like, I'm not a great boat guy. I like being on the boat, having a couple beers, relaxing, small boat. You can jump off. Speaking of boats, by the way, that cruise, did you guys hear about this story? This Alaska, I think it was a Ale- this cruise going through Alaska. I'm not sure if it was Alaskan cruise lines, but anyway, someone, this guy murdered his wife on the boat, allegedly. But When they opened the door and found her dead body, blood all over the place, and him going, she won't stop laughing at me. I'm going to say this guy's probably a pretty good suspect. Yeah, she wouldn't stop laughing. Well, what, what was this guy? I got to hear this guy. What's his act? He must be hilarious. This is ridiculous. You know, they took this boat. After they found this murder, they brought it into port. And they just take the guy off. Takes about an hour and a half. They probably let some people off, you know, catch your breath, get some tissues, whatever you got to do, if you're crying. And then they pack it with it and right back out to sea, clean that room up. I wouldn't be surprised if they they just threw another couple in that room. Can you? I mean, right back out there. Buffet that night. Probably a comedian. You know, I've never done like a week cruise. I did one time for Court McCowan as a friend. And a favor, I did one of these little two-day cruises down to Mexico, and it was a nightmare. It was me and Sebastian and Court and Paul Hughes, and it was terrible. We had to do like the first night, the first thing there, like the first thing anyone saw, and it wasn't fun. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to party. We were It was like a school assembly, and then you got to sit on the boat with these people for the next 48 hours. I was like, oh, get me out of here. I couldn't imagine having to perform after there was a murder, a murder boat. Murder boat, and now it's supposed to be a laugh riot again. Here we go. Let's hit that water slide tomorrow. That's why I'm not doing cruises. I'm not gonna do them. I have no interest. No, thank you. This is not fun to me to be on a a murder boat in the middle of the ocean. Anyway, (laughs) haha. What else? What else did I want to tell you? Oh, uh, I went out with my wife and my sister and my brother-in-law to dinner, and my brother. On Friday night, my wife got wasted. Yeah. Yeah. She was useless the next day. So shout out to Booze. Really messed up my Sunday. Um, that was a blast. We went out east. I got to I drove past the Shinnecock Golf Club. I got to play there last year. I didn't I didn't get to play this summer. Next year the US Open for golf is there. So once a year i drive through it you can actually drive there's a road that goes right through it and it's a beautiful clubhouse you're in the mid like right off the water there and it's just it's beautiful so i took a picture there i'll, I'll post that too gee steve tell us more about what you did guys 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 um all right let's talk about this week's guest okay because i did a podcast with this woman this week and it was a pleasure um Mrs. Carrie Glynn is my guest this week. She was my theater teacher in high school. She's the person most responsible for getting me, A, to read a play, and then B, to perform in a play, and then C, to continue on and believe that this is something I can do. Probably not for a livelihood. I'm sure she's as shocked as I am that it's I've been successful at it, but um, she was sort of helped me along. She was the, the first person to teach me about this stuff. She is um, one of the coolest teachers. She's the one that you would want to get as an English teacher or a theater teacher or someone in that in the liberal arts area and uh, she was smart. She was understanding. She knows how to read different students um, and teach them in different ways. She's not all about just teaching curriculum or what the other English teachers or, or people are teaching. Um, she's open-minded and I just, you know, I we stayed in touch via Facebook, but she retired a, a little while back. Um and uh I just I I knew that when I had this podcast going, I was going to be home for a little bit and I knew that she lived close and I was hoping we would be able to get in touch and and get together and it worked out perfectly this week. Um we didn't really talk about one book specifically. We kind of when I told her what it was about, she she's read st- i mean thousands and thousands tens of thousands of books i think i think at one point she said that she she had read a book a, a day for years um her husband who's a a lawyer and uh and sales so he takes some time off big chunks of time and goes out on the boat and she'll go with him and she'll just read a book a day um so we didn't really discuss a single book because it was almost like asking you know, probably Mark Duplass, what his favorite movie is. He's seen and and written and been in millions of movies. So um, we talked about her favorite books to teach, uh, a separate piece, place, piece. You know what I'm talking about. Don't be smart. You know what I'm talking about. We talked about that book at length a little bit. We talked uh, just her favorite ones to go through. We talked a little bit about science fiction. Those were her favorite ones to teach When she was uh, teaching English classes to younger students, because it really opened up children's minds to different to to something that you couldn't even like beyond imagination, beyond things tangible. Um, So it was just great. It was a really great conversation. Now that being said, that being said, we did have some hiccups. I changed my batteries to what I thought were brand new batteries in my recorder, and they ended up being dead batteries. So you'll hear it kind of gets it clicks off. It's not going to sound that way, but it's a little disjointed right in the middle. Plus, her phone rang one time. She has a landline. Can you believe that? Just a landline. You're not getting in touch with Mrs. Glenn via cell phone. You're just going to get her on a landline. I'm not going to tell you the number, though. But, you know, that rang in the middle. So, you know, look, this, this free podcast is what it is. We're not perfect, but this is a great conversation with a really wonderful woman, and I think you guys will get a lot from it. So, this is Mrs. Carrie Glynn, and we talk about various books. Enjoy. <laughs> that that one's yours um i i think that that's a lovely thing and and do you write handwritten letters or do you type
1: um let me think i don't remember i probably type them for ease of reading because Mm -hmm. i spent too many years reading handwriting that was very (laughs) difficult to read from students yeah but you know the people who really inspired me ray bradbury um, I taught for five years in middle school. Ours for rocket was the one I taught seventh grade. Martian Chronicles was eighth grade. And I think that science fiction is so overlooked in the curriculum. Did you ever read any science fiction no. when you were in school?
0: Nope. And you know what I find now. Uh, everyone that read science fiction younger now is into like graphic comic books and things like that. I have friends that now like write graphic comic books. That's just a genre. science fiction just sort of is now, you can move it into the world of, of superheroes, and, and that is just unbelievable. Like The, the way that people's minds and, and the ability to take people on rides, even stories that you know, Superman, things like that, that the way that they redo things now and, and, and come up with new ways of telling the story, I think that's amazing.
1: Well, I know they do teach graphic novels now in school, but for me, the deal with science fiction was that it was speculative and it was imaginative. Mm -hmm. And I wanted students to be thrust into a different world and have to think about what makes people human, um, what other cultures are like. I mean, whether you talk about Asimov or you talk about Arthur C. Clarke or you talk about Ray Bradbury, it's like, it it, it really was about humanism. I mean, all the stories in R's for Rocket like that. People having to choose if they only live seven days in a lifetime, should they give up a third of their life to try to get to the mountain where people live longer? You know, what kind of choice would you make? If you were faced with that choice, would you just enjoy the three days you have, or would you risk losing it to get to that mountain? And of course, ours Per also has the butterfly story, which everybody knows now as the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. but that was the sound of thunder, where a man goes back in time and steps on a butterfly, and when he comes back to present-day America, it looks like Hitler's Germany. So, I just found that there was so much to talk about, and- and it was, as I said, the imagination is so wonderful. And I'm finding now that so few kids really have imagination. Well. It's being stifled. You have you have children. Do they, I do. Do they play, act? Do they? Yes.
0: My younger one now is at, at the age where he'll, he'll uh, the whole room, he'll be by himself in a room for hours and hours and just voices and doing characters and. This guy's evil and and has these superpowers, but this guy's trying to overcome them and teach them to be good. And they used to be brothers. He'll, he'll tell me stories, have create backstories about just these different you know characters and and toys that he's playing with. So to me. Because sometimes you're like, okay, should we? Should I get in there and play with him? And I've, I've thought about that, but I'm like, sometimes you just need to take a step back and let them do what they want to do in whatever direction they want to take it in. And uh, so I try to I try not to get involved when he's in that Well, that I zone. wish he'd
1: join one of my library um, drama groups because I've started doing drama with children, really? creative drama. And I find so many of them are incapable of creating a character. They don't know how to create a story. Uh, last year I asked them to create characters and they just took Pokemon characters. And I tried to explain that you can invent your own and, and they really couldn't do it. And I find that more and more with the students I meet in these library courses is they've lost that ability for imaginative play. And when you talk to students about what they're reading, you know, they also lack the imagination, the ability to read a book and actually visualize it, you know, in your head, which is so important. So I just, as I said, I, I thought that, I still think that science fiction should be taught in the schools.
0: Science fiction. Science
1: fiction should definitely be taught. Did you,
0: is this something that you, was this, when you, I don't And how it work, when you, when you taught, was there a list of books that, no. these are the hundred books that we are teaching this year, choose off of this list, or is it, you get to come up with when your own I curriculum? When
1: I started, there was no curriculum. None. Th- there was none. Basically. Where do I, they
0: want you to get to?
1: I, as, somewhere. <laughs> I was taken, I was taken to the book room. I, I was shown the shelves, and I was told that I could teach any books that were on the shelves. Really? And that's what I did. And there were times when we did get a list. For example, in ninth grade, for a long time in the Smithtown District, where you were, you mm-hmm. were a student I was a teacher, um, we had to teach Romeo and Juliet, and it started a lifelong love of Shakespeare for me, and um, Tom Sawyer. And uh, I think one other book. They wanted like a kind of common core. And then the honors classes had other books. Some of the books after a while, though, I refused to teach. And I was laughing about this last night with my husband because I pretty much banned John Steinbeck from my Why? curriculum. Because he's so depressing. I mean, think about it. Ninth grade, the kids had to read The Pearl. Did you read The Pearl? No. Okay, this poor fisherman finds a pearl. All he wants is to send his little boy to school and get him a sailor suit. And everyone's after his pearl, and by the end of the book, the little boy's head has been blown off with a shotgun, and his house has been burned down, and he throws the pearl back into the water. And I ask you, how does that inspire anything in students? What does it tell you? In
0: eighth grade?
1: In ninth grade.
0: Ninth grade?
1: Yes. And then, of course, there's, oh, another favorite of mine, of mice and men. Yes, you have a best friend, and you cherish him, and you have to shoot him in the head in order to stop him from being lynched. Yeah. So after a while, I just refuse to teach Steinbeck. And I was looking for, for novels and stories that were a little more inspirational that gave kids hope. I mean, so many are so depressed and anxious anyway. Why do you want to make their lives worse by giving them this "life sucks" book, which is what so many of the stories it does know, end up. Yeah,
0: I, I remember reading of mice and men, and at the end being like, "Ooh, man." Like that was cold, like not in a in a level of like thinking about it, like oh, this is you know you have to kill your best friend, but just like whoa, this is a real dark turn. This is I don't oof, that kind of and like a oh feeling, you know, at the end of it, like not oh, but yet.
1: Ethan Frome, he ends up plowing. Oh, lucky you. He ends up plowing into a tree when he's trying to run away with the woman he loves. And his awful wife ends up having to tend him because the lovely woman dies and he's a quadriplegic. I mean, that was another favorite among 11th grade teachers. And I wouldn't teach that either
0: so did you, did you get in trouble for that or no, no. that's not no you could no. just and
1: then i also came up with my own courses i mean i started the shakespeare mm-hmm. course at smithtown and i chose the plays and they were any play that Kenneth Branagh had made into a movie, mm-hmm. which is why I wrote to Kenneth Branagh after I retired. Um, because, I mean, he just – have you seen like Henry V or Much Ado About Nothing or any of Branagh's movies?
0: I've seen – which I saw. I think I saw Much Ado About Nothing. Which he directed delightful. that too, right? Yes,
1: and Emma Thompson and yeah. were married at that point.
0: Um, I didn't see the other um – no, I didn't see the other one. But he's done so many that he's directed himself. Right. The, 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 that to me is unbelievable. He
1: also turned one of them into a 1930s musical with Nathan Lane. Which one? I I was afraid you were going to ask me. Oh, you don't, okay. It's on my shelf, but I don't remember what the name it all was. Right. It was one of the lesser comedies. But he put it to all um, Gershwin music.
0: And it worked? Did you see
1: it? Yes. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was a lot of fun. And he danced. Apparently, he grew up in Ireland. And he loved song and dance movies. He loved American musicals. And so he wanted to turn one of Shakespeare's plays into an American musical. Alicia Silverstein was in it also. And there's one scene where, where all, they're all dancing to a Fred and, and Ginger song. And he's an awful dancer. <laughs> but he looked so happy doing it. Yeah. You know, so he, he's, he he single-handedly, I think, saved Shakespeare for the high school curriculum because you just couldn't put Laurence Olivier's like Richard the mm-hmm. Third anymore, you no. know, or a Hamlet in black and white with those.
0: as beautiful. Those performances yes. are. They just the, the the I don't know. Not that technology, but the, it just doesn't hold up as acting far as attention's styles, concerned. Yeah, the acting styles, styles are, are different. different. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more. Of this is the information and and not a lot of feeling behind it or different feeling. Yeah, to hold a high school kid's attention, if that's right, especially Shakespeare, um you need a little bit more. I th- what was the, the DiCaprio movie? Um, that they did Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I remember that was for me, I don't think it was high school, it was college. But I remember everyone was like, "Oh, I've, I'll go out and, you know, I'll read Romeo and Juliet." No, I'll just go see the movie with DiCaprio. Right. And that sort of turned more people on to And they tried it a couple different times, but yeah, it was a real like Shakespeare. If you if you weren't like into it at all or something you were interested in yeah, that was no – I remember all my friends from high school were like, no, I'm not taking that class. Not a chance. No fucking way. <laughs> uh, I didn't even take it. And I was part of the theater program, you know?
1: Th- that, that's a pity. And I know. I, I have to tell you, I didn't love Shakespeare. I didn't love Shakespeare in college. I didn't love Shakespeare. I never understood it. I mean, really, it really sounded like blah, 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 blah. Have you ever seen al pacino's looking for richard no oh my god all right this is a documentary he decided to make a documentary about putting on richard iii but he wasn't actually going to put on richard iii but he was going to bring together these amazing actors every every name you've ever heard of joined this documentary and he chose certain scenes that he staged in new york city um, one of the cloisters. One scene, you'd see him um, in an alleyway. Alec Baldwin was in it. I mean, everybody was in it. And I used to start by showing the kids that because they all loved Pacino when they thought he was cool. Mm-hmm. So if Pacino's cool, then Richard the Third must be cool. Got your attention. And I mean, the kids, the, the kids adored it. Um, I mean, there's so much out there. But as I said, I didn't fall in love with Shakespeare until I went to Delacorte and I saw a production of *Midsummer Night's Dream* mm-hmm. with nobody famous in it, but it was. Fun and i funny did it in college and, and i love that's what made me what did you play I Lysander, bottom you played bottom yeah
0: and it was just it i the my professor was like you're it's a jackass you're gonna be you're gonna it's not anything more because i said i don't know i've never done shakespeare he goes you're gonna play a, literally a jackass mm-hmm. and it's gonna you're gonna have so much fun doing it and you can remember you memorize these words and we will have so much fun together and it was a blast it was one of the most fun things i've ever done
1: well i don't know whether it was before or after you i think it was after your time um but I did Midsummer Night's Dream, and I'd cut it down. I'd cut out. It's really very easy to do and understand something. The original Romeo and Juliet, we think of it as, it's not the original. That's way back in time. But the Zeffirelli one that most of us saw with Olivia Hussey, um, that's the lush, beautiful one with that gorgeous theme song that plays constantly. I had the script for that, and it was 21 pages because Zeffirelli would take a three-page dialogue. Juliet has a three-page dialogue before she drinks the potion, and in his version it was, here's to my love, gulp, and that was the end of it. And he cut out all the kind of superfluous metaphors, because Shakespeare will say, ah, he looks like... She looks like Daphne chasing Apollo through the Syrian moon, and that's why kids get so confused by Shakespeare. You're like, I
0: don't know the references you're talking right. about. Right? I don't know who Daphne you is. Don't get it. I watch Scooby Doo, but that's not the Daphne you're talking about. Yeah, it's very confusing.
1: And actually, the DiCaprio one was almost word for word. Everyone said that's not Shakespeare. It was Efrayeli. That was Shakespeare. No, actually, the DiCaprio Danes kept, I think, 90% of the dialogue in it.
0: Pretty much, yeah. I thought. They did. Yeah.
1: And that was the irony of those two. But when I did Midsummer Night's Dream, so I cut it Mm -hmm. so that high school kids could understand it, and I set it to Beatles music and a few other 60s pieces. And every time Puck came out with the flower, I played Love Potion Number (laughs) 9 so that everybody would know, okay, there goes the love juice again. And we all ended with... um, all you need is love and all the fairies and the rustics and they're all doing an Elizabethan dance. But I found Beatles music that, you know, in some way supported what was going on. Yeah, it and just
0: kind of shifts you into the did mood you ever, that you're supposed to this feel. This isn't
1: Beatles, but did you ever have to make up your mind? Okay. And that's, of course, when the confusion happens when, you know, all the lovers are loving the wrong person. Yep. And he loves two women or whatever is He loves one woman and she loves him.
0: It, it reminded me of like a Neil Simon play of who's coming in, what door, and, you know, like I'm, it, it, or a Three's Company episode. It's like Jack overheard this from Chrissy, and, you know, it sort of all kind of came from that, I felt. You well, know? if you're
1: going to talk about Neil Simon in books, you still remember that Neil Simon is and was. My favorite playwright. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't know if you've ever read his autobiography, Rewrites. It's one of the best autobiographies ever written. It's
0: I will put that down. Yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying autobiographies. I've it's, done a couple of those.
1: He's done two, and he did a sequel also. But I loved um, Neil Simon, which is you know yeah. something that, that we did together. And by the way, he is still alive, and I haven't written to him. And now I think I have another... Um, Homework assignment. That's a good one. I wrote one. to Brannow and I wrote to Bradbury and I wrote to Sondheim. I will have to write to. Did Nick you write
0: Simon. to? Did Christopher Reeve write? back was that? Did he send you that or?
1: I'm actually one of my students. Michael Mm Sheeman was an apprentice at the Williamstown Theater Festival and knew that I loved Chris Reeve and asked for his picture. And then I found out he also talked to Rob Lowe and he didn't tell Rob Lowe that I loved him too (laughs) if I wanted a picture. Oh,
0: all right. (laughs) I see Rob Lowe once in a while. I'll I'll tackle him next time I I see him and uh, I'll get a picture for you. Please do. Um, Did you, were you a big reader as a child?
1: I was a big reader as a child. Um, I remember I made it a point. I wanted to read a book a day when I was in school and we had the desks that, how old as long as i can remember a book a day really i mean they got progressively more longer and more complicated but we had the desk that you that you put your books inside the desk and i would prop a book up inside the desk and i was acting even then because i'd sit there reading but i'd make sure to look at the teacher and like you know smile laugh blink, mm-hmm. raise my hand occasionally so she would never know.
0: So you were reading whatever you wanted to read on your own. whatever I
1: wanted to read on my own.
0: In the middle of class. In
1: the middle of class. I continued. I took a course at the State University and after um, she told us to read Oedipus Rex, which I had read several times and taught, and I got to the first class and she started um, explaining page by page what was going on. I found a loose leaf and I cut it up and I stuck paperback books in there and for the rest of the course I just continued to read while she was telling us what was there was there
0: and now was that your parents that just were like hey, this is sort of what we do was, you know like, what? the vibe around the house or was just something that you were like i want to immerse myself in different worlds and i'm enjoying this and
1: i think both i mean my mother wasn't much of a reader she read magazines my father um, did love reading but we didn't ha- it's funny we didn't have a lot of books in our house like he he much rather watch sports he was a terrific athlete and actually, I had a boy who came to pick me up for a date once who apparently went back to school and told everybody that there were no books in our house. What? <laughs> he was pretty snobby, to he, tell you the truth. He and he that, hadn't been to my bedroom. I want to make that clear because there were <laughs> a lot of books in my bedroom. Okay. But um, no, I just always loved what to read. What a funny
0: I think thing to take away. Yes. Well, there well, were no books did. in our house. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. Well,
1: but no, I just, what I loved when I was younger was historical fiction. And I actually know a great deal about history because that's pretty much all I read for years and years and years. And I was fascinated by the, um, Henry the Eighth and his six wives. I found myself standing on his grave when I took a group. Maybe you were there. Remember, I took students to London. I went to and London Paris,
0: with you, yeah. Yep.
1: And at one point, I was standing in—I think it, maybe it was Windsor—and I looked down, and I'm standing on the tomb of Henry the Eighth. And I went nuts, and none of. You kids knew who I was talking about, and it was
0: you very, were very excited.
1: I was very excited. So,
0: do you I'm, remember? Hold on, can I about that trip? Just one yes. other side. Do you remember we went to Shakespeare's house, and we went inside, and
1: you sat down I on sat, a bench. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we get to this house, Shakespeare's house, and we had we had done a lot that day, and it was a tiny little front vestibule room. No one had come in and said like this is the beginning of the tour yet. So we were all just kind of in there. Looking around and there was a bench and I, there was no sign or anything on the bench. I sat down on the bench and you know, when you put your weight down on something and you feel that it's, it's very old and it might not completely hold your entire weight. I, and I was like, I don't think this is, this is good. And then I stood up and then when she came in to start her, you know, the, the tour, I think the last thing she said was, and one of our oldest pieces in this entire house is the bench where Shakespeare asked his wife. To marry him, <laughs> right there on that bench, and I think I was like, I almost smashed that bench in half, like a big dumb American. We were eighteen. I right. should have. I mean, I really didn't know any better, but still, I was like, I had no idea that that was Shakespeare's bench, but I almost smashed it. So I'm glad that I didn't, and I'm glad that I don't even know if you knew about it. But yeah, well, you I get, think
1: you told me about it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So growing up it was a lot of historical fiction. Um, And I think what I tried to do when I taught ninth grade was I tried to give kids like six different genres, and I figured that they would find one genre that they liked, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people sort of go from genre to genre. I read a lot of science fiction when I met my husband because he was a science fiction fan, and I wanted to read the same books that he read, like Dune and all the books by Robert Heinlein. Um, I love mysteries. I mean, Elizabeth George, who's an American, who writes um, novels set in England, is, I think, the most fantastic um, mystery writer around. I mean, P.G. James is great. Ruth Rendell is wonderful. Unfortunately, she died a couple of years ago. But that was my, my mystery Um So you go period. through
0: basically periods of, I'm going to read a lot of science fiction now, I'm going to read a lot, and it just, it just changes from, from time period to time period based on where you are. Do you ever go back and read a book to feel kind of the way you felt about...
1: I have gone back and I've read my favorite historical fictions. I'm Green Darkness. Um, Anna Seaton is a great is a great author of historical fiction and Nora Lofts. And it's not that I just read that one thing because when I taught, I was teaching probably four or five books at a time, and, and I would reread those every year with the students because I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget some important detail. I want to be able to enter the discussion. So I was reading other genres too while I did that. Um, but at the same time, you know, historical fiction, mysteries. Um, contemporary fiction I love Alice Hoffman I think she's one of the Great great writers Of the 21st century And she used to live here On Long Island Alice Hoffman Alice Hoffman In fact she may have It's okay There was dead That His funeral Was the day that No pigs would die And I walked into the classroom The next day And I said Give me your books I said We're not going to finish Reading this And I took them away
0: You took away the the day no, That no pigs would die Yes Oh gosh!
1: I mean, that leads back to what I said before about it's literature of the depressed and depressing. It's, and you know, and and I was thinking about that now because I really don't. I mean, there are a lot of genres I love, and there are probably some genres that I that I don't love. Mm -hmm. Um, But I read thrillers. I, I probably read almost everything. But right now we were talking about young adult books, and I was talking about depressing. Most of the young adult books now are dystopian. I mean, many of them are fantasies. But all it is is dystopia, like The Hunger Games. And the worlds are so bleak. And even though the protagonists in these novels are trying to make the world a better place, it's like The Giver, which is another book that I would never teach. Did you ever no, read
0: No, I never the Giver? read
1: it. Don't give it to your children. It's horrible.
0: The Giver. Who's it by?
1: Somebody very famous, and I can't remember their name What's right now.
0: What's the premise? Is it probably—
1: Well, the premise is it's a dystopian future— and um, it's a little bit like Brave New World where people don't have their own babies. And if a baby is born with a defect, they crush its skull. And one little boy sees the babies, sees the laboratory where they're killing the babies. And he sort of kidnaps another baby who also is defective in some way. And he tries to escape this country. And the end is ambiguous. You're
0: you don't left- know if he gets out or if he escapes? Well,
1: Either he does find a lovely world, or he dies and that's heaven. We're not sure.
0: Oh, gosh. I
1: don't want to give kids that book either. And that is actually required reading in most sixth grades.
0: So, what, what, okay, so you don't want to give that, because basically it's just leaving children with two decisions. I guess it's cool that you get to choose your own. Maybe you have a conversation, do you think he survived, and why, and do you think, but... What you were going back to before, you're saying science fiction opens up so many more doors and so many more avenues that you have a much, uh, you have a better chance of having a, a more in depth conversation about what they think and what they what they feel about. Is well, that- they
1: actually have to think and feel. Yeah, I mean, for example, I don't remember the name of it. Bradley Cooper, and lovely Jennifer Lawrence in that sci fi movie, this year that came out. It didn't do that well. The sci
0: fi. Oh, um,
1: they're on the on the ship in suspended animation
0: oh you mean um chris pratt and um and jennifer oh, lawrence pratt, yeah right. the one where they go a, not arrival that's the one where they come back oh yeah that's amy adams yeah like they go rival. to like somewhere for like they have to be asleep for a thousand years but they wake up super right. early yeah
1: right did you see that movie
0: i saw pieces of it on a plane yes but okay. i think i fell asleep
1: because at, he wakes up accidentally and then it turns out that she wakes up, but it turns out after they've sort of fallen in love that he woke her up deliberately because he was so lonely. And then he feels terribly guilty. I mean, this, this is a moral choice. It's a very moral movie. And he gives her the option of going back into suspended animation. Apparently there's one pod that's still viable and he can put her back under. And you're left to wonder, what choice is she going to make? Is she going to go back to sleep, leaving him to live the next sixty years alone? Or is she going to give up the rest of her life and just spend it with this one man alone hurtling through space? And I won't tell you what she chooses. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the point is that that's the kind of question that that science fiction poses is like the morality of things and you can have wonderful discussions with students about should yeah, he, what
0: if she gets there and she never meets anyone as fantastic as this guy right. or did what, he have
1: know, a right to wake her up yeah you know even if they have a, a lovely uh, they'll never run out of food or, or drink the bartender will always be serving them you know is that then i found myself wondering would they have children Could they have children and bring them up in the stairs? I mean, there are just so many questions that come out of science fiction. It's like Blade Runner. I'm so excited that Blade Runner has a sequel now because that's probably our number one favorite movie. And I mean, the author of that, um, he wrote so many incredible science fiction books
0: who was it? Do you know? I knew you were
1: going to ask That's me. Okay. Because, okay. I'm over 60 now, and I it lose my matter. nouns, okay? People
0: at home go, I know who it is, and they just shout it out into, well, the, into their I'm stereos and stuff. They know who it is. Most
1: of the stories, the original book was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, Philip K. Dick. Okay. Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. And, and, yes, of course. Of course. Okay? Um, Phil Dick. Yes, Phil Dick. Mm-hmm. An interesting name. But at any anyway, rate, so we talk about dystopian science fiction, and I just wanted to... Because I haven't actually talked about the book. I decided it was my favorite books. And those were um, books about the Arthurian legend about King Arthur. Okay. I mean, I think the best, I mean, the most famous one of them is The Once and Future King by T.H. White, who also wrote Charlotte's Web. And this is, Disney's The Sword and the Stone
0: Okay, I was the first
1: quarter of this book. It is just the most wonderful retelling of the King Arthur legend. And then Mary Stewart, who wrote basically sort of mystery gothic romances, wrote the story of Merlin. It's the crystal caves, the hollow hills, and the last enchantment. And it's the life of King Arthur as told through the eyes of Merlin the Magician. And going back to girl and boy books. I absolutely fell in love with the first book, The Crystal Cave. My husband read all three, loved it. One of my former students, Marco Wapiski, he read it at my suggestion, and he loved it. So it seems to be a series that is gender-free, that anyone can love. And then, and this is a cult favorite. I don't know if you've heard of this, but many of my students, this is their favorite book in the world. The Miss of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley tells the story of Arthur through the women, through Guinevere, through Morgan le Fay.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. There is
1: a whole I wouldn't call it a genre, but there's a whole subset of books all about King Arthur. And I've read them all. I actually the first time we went to England, Tim and I, I took I took the Mary Stewart books. And there was like a little map in the beginning that just showed the different sites that scenes took place in. And I took that book to England. Forget maps, forget GPS, forget navigation. Do you use that? I used that. <laughs> and we went to every Glastonbury Tintagel, where Arthur mm-hmm. was conceived. Maybe I left them in England. Maybe that's why I can't find them. But we actually followed that map and went to every site um, that appeared in uh, the Merlin. When did you start
0: reading the, the King Arthur stuff?
1: Probably when I was 11 or 12.
0: And it was just, it, it, it just hooked you.
1: I mean, okay, have you ever seen the movie Camelot? Mm, no. Okay, well, that's a Learner and Lowe musical. You know I love musicals. Sure. And I don't remember if Camelot started it for me or if that was just part of it, but that's the musical version of the story. I mean, here's King Arthur. All he wants to do is turn this barbaric land into a civilized land, not making might for right, not right as might. He falls in love with Guinevere. They marry. Then she falls madly in love with his best friend, Lancelot. He knows about it, but he loves them both, too much. Um,
0: So he's just going to turn his head. He
1: just turns his head, Mm -hmm. and then the wicked, wicked stepson Mordred. You really don't know the story. You have to read these. Okay, I mean, all right. The wicked son. um, Who's son? Stepson. Arthur. Arthur was seduced by his half sister, witch. Okay, and he was like. 13 years that's what happens when
0: you're 13 you get seduced by a half-sister witch that's right it happens to all 13 year olds like bar mitzvah seduced by a witch
1: well i don't know whether i hope it happened for you or not (laughs) so we won't go there but you know this wicked boy waits until arthur is out of the castle and then he sets a trap for lancelot and guinevere to be found in bed together oh boy and he has all the castle soldiers and there is a, a law in Camelot that if you commit adultery you'll be burned at the stake a woman who commits adultery will be burned at the stake and as he loves Guinevere Arthur does he doesn't want her burned at the stake but he's made it a point that we have rules they're good rules everybody has to obey them and so he has to give the order for Guinevere to be burned at the stake but he's praying and praying that Lancelot who escaped through a window will come back and rescue her and at the last minute Lancelot does rescue her, and then Arthur is forced to declare war on Lancelot because he kidnapped the queen. And there's this wonderful scene in the movie, in the books, where he and Lancelot meet on the battlefield for the last time, still loving each other, still the best of friends. Arthur is killed in the battle, and there are different versions of the story, but most versions of the story, although Lancelot and Guinevere are now together, she can't live with Lancelot knowing that their love caused arthur's death so
0: she, did, did lancelot kill arthur or is it just a battle thing where it they was just a battle, battle thing. thing okay but wow. she
1: goes into a convent she takes herself into a convent but the story has everything and then of course there's the whole round table you know and all of the knights in the round table and the holy grail i mean there's so much to the story but i think what attracted me as a young girl was the incredible romance of Arthur Guinevere and Lancelot. And to have that, yeah. This is
0: told by, by Guinevere's point of view?
1: Actually, Morgan Le Fay, who's always been the bad one, the witch. But this creates a religion. It's so good. I wanted to join this religion and forget... Christianity. Really? <laughs> really. It was, yes. What, what,
0: what, what, how does it create a religion?
1: It's it's almost a pagan religion, but it has to do with the woman is like the mother and the most important and about um, nature and mother nature. You'd have to read the whole book. Mm-hmm. And it actually has been a few years since I read it. But she takes you into a world where it creates a religion that makes perfect sense to me. And the story is told through the eyes of several women, starting with Morgan Le Fay, who in Camelot, the musical, and in The Once and Future King, is the bad witch. She is the one who seduced Arthur. Oh, wow. And okay. gave him his, his bastard boy. Interesting. And, uh, and what's interesting is authors have taken this story and told it from different characters' points of view. Which, maybe because I'm an English teacher, I love to see that.
0: Have you ever said this is this is the one thing that's been missing from the story this person's point of view or or have you ever thought yeah
1: yes the mists of avalon
0: that that filled that void for you when you're like that void for me
1: in fact one of my former students who's now in her late 50s that was to show you how old i am and she is she went to scotland this year and she went to scotland for one reason she wanted to see the islands where the mists of avalon are set And she and a friend went to Scotland, they found these islands, they were cold, they were windy, there was nothing there, there wasn't even a pub, but she made this journey all the way to the north of Scotland on a ferry to find the islands that part of this book was set at. That's the kind of spell that this book casts on people, that they take their journeys to find these places, much like me using Mary Stewart. Mm
0: -hmm. In England. In England. How, um, this is an 11th grade? You would teach this?
1: I never taught that in school. No. I just recommended it to students of mine who were readers. Who
0: are readers, yeah. Um, what is your favorite book to teach if you had to teach one?
1: Um, honestly, I think it was probably a separate piece. Okay. Did you ever read that? No. Catholic school, I thought they did teach it. Catholic
0: school, book. we didn't... No. We didn't do a separate piece in Catholic school. Not the one I went to, at least. Okay. Not St. Philip and James.
1: You know what? It, it's funny because... You know that I have very strong feelings about books. I hated Lord of the Flies.
0: You did. Oh. I love Lord of the Flies. Oh. I love Peggy.
1: Oh, my God. I love
0: the conch. Pass it around. That's- yeah,
1: well, they throw Peggy off the cliff. Remember what they do to the poor sow?
0: Yeah, where well, they beat him up?
1: Well, no, they stuck an arrow up its
0: up its butt, right? Yes, up
1: yeah. its butt. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a book that I would love. but I had to, <laughs> But I had to teach it, okay? Yeah. What gets me though is a separate piece was a book that's sort of fallen out of favor, but I think it, it sounds is, so
0: familiar. I think I may have supposed to have read it, but I probably. Didn't. I think it
1: is the one perfectly written book. It's relatively short. Who's I'm, it by? John Knowles. Okay, and that was his masterpiece, and he tried a couple of more times to write other books, but everything he had went into that book. And the reason I brought it up is because there's a very similar theme to *Lord of the Flies*, which is the darkness in our hearts. You know, you certainly see the darkness in the hearts of of the boys on the island Mm -hmm. in Lord of the Flies. But this is about two boys in a boarding school in 1942, and they're in an accelerated program because they have to join the war effort. And two boys are best friends, but one of the boys is envious of his roommate who has it all. He's a great athlete, he's a great kid, he's good-looking, he comes from money, everything. And there's a terrible accident in the beginning of the book where the two of them are in a tree, and a tree branch wavers, and this perfect boy falls and breaks his leg very badly and the story goes on from there but it's just a it's a coming of age story and i won't tell you what happens because maybe you will read it someday okay but it just is a perfect story about friendship and love and loyalty and about the angst of being a teenager. And the final page is so amazing because there's a whole group of these boys and, you know, they're teenage boys. They all have their own issues. And at the very end, the narrator who is now a grown-up, looks back and realizes that they all built protective walls against themselves. They all built maginot no lines of defense against those things out there that they thought would hurt them. And in reality, probably they're, they're, they weren't fighting anything or just anybody. It was just a defense mechanism. It was just a defense mechanism, and there was really nobody out there that they had to protect themselves against. And he says, only Finney, this perfect boy, never hated anyone. He didn't. He didn't have any defenses because he didn't have any hate and he didn't have any fear. It's just a beautiful, oh. beautiful story.
0: Have you ever stopped reading a book? Have you ever been like, I'm, "This is so bad. I'm not yes, doing it."
1: Badly you, written books.
0: You have. Well, I how do you know them. how how? Well, you don't have to say which ones, but like how far no, into it did you have Amazon, to know? You
1: know, Amazon is like free books or well, that's good. Yeah, books. okay.
0: They're not. I they're free for a reason.
1: Yeah, they are free for a reason. Um, I can't. Do you? Read
0: them. Is that how you find? Like, cause, I mean, the amount that you've read. How do you find new stuff now? Where do you like? Do you get recommendations? I mean, or do you and Tim just go back and forth?
1: Um, no, Tim uses the Kindle, and they just sell him things in his genre, which is thrillers. Okay. I actually go to the library. And I talk to librarians. I read the New York Times book review. But I'll just walk up and down the shelves. And if any title or author or picture, I just take it out and look at it and read the first page. It has to be well written.
0: You're in a great neighborhood. I'm sure the public library here is wonderful. It's probably really still nice and old and beautiful. Yes, I've been to is. some public libraries in my neighborhood, which are nice. My kids, we walk down to the library. I've been. We filmed in a couple of libraries that are just havens for for derelicts <laughs> and like trash of the earth um which i can't even yeah some of them are just like i don't even know how this place is still a, a library or or taking well, you
1: know i started working in a library when i was 11 years old that's so that's it that's it, i mean Mass but I were went- you an only child i don't know yes. yeah okay in Massapequa, there is a tiny little library about the size of this room. Um, with a fireplace because originally that was the heating for it and it was a private public library It was only open two afternoons a week and when you took out books there was a big ledger book and the librarian would write down you'd have a page number and she'd write out the name of the book that you took out and she'd cross it out when you returned it and my best friend Phyllis and I started there at age 11 and we were paid in chocolate bars (laughs) We would work for the three hours, and the first thing we do when we came in was check to see whether it was dark chocolate or whether it was Nestle's Crunch or what it was, and we'd work there for two or three hours, then we'd each get a chocolate bar. And that was a very big part of my life. And I don't know whether it's because I work there that I love books or whether I love books and I work there, and I think that's probably...
0: Yeah, I The way it went. I think it was probably, you just, what a wonderful place to be able to go, let your imagination. Rocking chairs on
1: the front porch.
0: Do they still have the Dewey Decimal System in libraries? Yes, they do. Like the cards and stuff?
1: No, they no, don't. They I was don't. very disappointed when those disappeared. Now they have computers. Um, most college libraries switch from the Dewey Decimal to the Library of Congress, which is a system I don't understand at all. Very, very MC2CG. Uh, it, MC? Oh, was that like I mean, for you, years you and stuff? You went to college? Yeah,
0: but yeah. I, don't, I don't remember that.
1: You remember Dewey Decimal?
0: I remember Dewey Decimal, yeah. You go to the cards and the...
1: Okay, that, that's surprising that's because them, yeah. if you went back now, you wouldn't find Dewey Decimal. No, we still have Dewey Decimal in most public libraries, but you have to go on the computer, um, which serves as a card catalog. And honestly, you know, I like the cards because you could go to a topic and just leaf through all the cards and say, "Oh, that book sounds." Instead better. of
0: going to the yeah to the shelf and and going through them all, yeah. Um, that that was that must have been. How long did you work at the library?
1: Um, until I moved uh three years i guess three or four years
0: that's amazing and then
1: the librarian there took me to my first broadway show she took the girls who worked there into the city a couple of times a year to museums she was wonderful she threw us our first boy girl party at her house oh really really she and her husband played cards in their bedroom with the door askew and we played spin the bottle in the living room <laughs>
0: how old are you guys 15
1: 13
0: 13 yeah perfect perfect age for spin the bottle absolutely that's amazing um i want to thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it this has been i just to be able to go back and talk with first of all with someone that's so well read um and then someone i've known for a very long time it's it was awesome thank you
1: this was such a thrill i've never made a podcast
0: it's uh yeah they're very easy to do and it's crazy how this all will sound like once we put music and everything, and my producer puts everything together, it doesn't even sound like phones rang or we ran out of batteries or any of that stuff. It's crazy; it's it all just goes together. So
1: lovely to see you again after all these years. Thank you. And I have watched you every opportunity that I could. I appreciate and followed that. Followed your career Thank and had you. your picture on my wall for quite a few years. Thank
0: you. I I, I mean, with this, this is amazing to be up here with Kenneth Brana and and uh, Christopher Reeve. It's amazing. Um and you uh, you I, I, I know that you were uh, a big voice in helping me when I had a rough time and I thank you for that as well um,
1: you're welcome you were you were a joy.
0: I appreciate it um, Guys, we'll talk next week and I have a lot of books to read now Mrs. Glynn has given me a pretty hefty homework assignment here so uh, a separate piece place what is it a, a separate, separate piece separate piece could it happen soon guys Hello. all right Was
2: made a distant moon ago here. <laughs> July and August cannot be too hot And there's a legal limit to the snow here In Camelot The winter is forbidden till December And exits March the 2nd on the dot By order summer lingers through September In Camelot Camelot, Camelot, I know it sounds a bit bizarre, but in Camelot, Camelot, that's how conditions are.
0: Thank you very much to Mrs. Carrie Glenn. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I had having it with her. Um, There's nothing to promote on her end. There is just... um, she she uh, donates her time to to cat rescue and animal rescue so if you got an animal rescue and you can donate a little bit of bucks do it and if you can't maybe a little time that might help um and what oh me personally i've got stuff to sell i got stuff to 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 you know to tell you about i'm going to be in Huntsville Alabama on August 17th 18th and 19th three nights at the brand new stand up live comedy club i've heard nothing about But great things about the club, about the people, about the area. If you live there, if you know someone that lives there, let them know I'm coming. Please. Also, let me know where to eat. I've never been there before. Tell me where to go during the day so I don't just sit in my hotel room. Okay? Maybe there's space camp there. I can do two days of space camp. So please, Huntsville, Alabama. I'm very excited about coming down there. It's going to be hot in the dirtish south I just watched my favorite documentary Last Chance You. now that's Mississippi but it's close to Alabama so I hope you guys have subtitles because I'm going to need them and I told you I just watched uh, Hidden Figures so I'm ready for space guys I got this whole thing set up Huntsville come and meet me August 17th 18th and 19th thanks guys for listening and I'll talk to you next week
2: Camelot, I know it gives a person pause. But in Camelot, Camelot, those are the legal laws. The snow may never slush upon the hillside. By 9 p.m. the moonlight must appear. In short, there's simply not a more congenial spot. For happy ever aftering, than he will come a-up. Each evening from December to December. Before you drift to sleep upon your cot, think back on all the tales that you remember of Camelot. Ask every person if he's heard the story and tell it strong and clear if he has not. That once there was a fleeting wisp of glory Called Camelot By 8 a.m. the morning fog had flown. Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment.